Welcome, one and all, to the inciting podcast. For those who are tuning in for the first time, which hopefully uh, is the first time, considering we uh, do not have any previous episodes uh, under our belt just yet, uh, this is a uh, media entertainment podcast with a primary focus on movies. And uh, with me here, uh, who 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 uh, who are you two? Who are you two? Who are these people? Well, you never introduce yourself, you silly butt. Well, I'll do that last. Cool. I'm James. Hi. I'm Scott. How is everybody here? Ah, uh, pretty good. <laughs> uh, this here is Ian. Ian. With an I. Most people, when they see the I, they think it is uh, Ian. Uh, that is because uh, at a very early age, they uh, either did not learn or quickly forgot their elementary school phonics. Happens way too much and uh, shows our regression. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about various different things within media and entertainment. The first topic for discussion, of course, hooked on phonics. Let us discuss. <laughs> but of course, hooked on phonics. That's that's the good shit right there. Okay, but no, please. Uh, let's actually get in it. With the Inciting Moment podcast, uh, obviously, a little thing I wanted to talk about before anything else was why is it called that? Why 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 the Inciting Moment podcast? Uh, and the reason for that is because the Inciting Moment is a filmmaking term, or rather, storytelling uh, term, uh, in which uh, it is a moment within the story structure of a, uh, a, a tale, uh, in which it is uh, a moment of revelation, realization, or just overall giant info dump that uh, incites... Uh, the rest of the story, the thing that gets it along. Uh, one could say that uh, Luke Skywalker seeing the recording of Princess Leia as an inciting moment, perhaps even Bruce Wayne's parents being killed as an inciting moment. And no, that is not a spoiler alert, because if you don't know that, I I don't know what to tell you. You're under I can't believe rock. Luke found a recording of Princess Leia. That's such a huge plot reveal. <laughs> I know. Right? You have to ruin the movie for me. Come on. Oh, yeah, you know, we're only a couple decades late. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> that one. First time that's... for everything. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's very true. And uh, another portion of what led to uh, the inciting moment being the name of choice is also because if I had to put a adjective to some of the conversations that I've had with uh, these two mad lads, uh, which we have quite frequently. And each time I would describe them uh, simply as insightful. Something that uh, holds a lot of uh, uh, conversation to be had, discussion and all that. And naturally, over time... When we would, uh, you know, look at our phones when we were calling each other and realize, oh, shoot, we've been talking for like two and a half hours. As you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm guilty Naturally, of like, okay, you know what? We're, 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 we're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast because, frankly, with all this stuff, 
It's just too interesting to not share with other people. And with that, what have we to share with the people right now, Ian? Well, well, uh, obviously, uh, to almost kind of go back to the early days of school, uh, we want to learn a little bit about each other. But we're not going to go with uh, the more general topics or questions or anything like that. What we're going to do is that we're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper, kind of challenge each other for this. Uh, what I would like for us each to do, myself included, naturally, uh, is to share with everybody what are, at minimum, two movies within our list of favorite movies in no particular ranking or order uh, that gives a decent enough idea of what we look for in is cinema. All right. Uh, where's the order of operations here? Do you want to lead us? Sure. I'll go ahead and start right off with that. <clears throat> so when it comes to what I look for uh, <laughs> for a long time, I didn't really know. All I really knew is just like, oh, yeah, as long as I can like see the quality of, you know, whatever filmmaking, acting, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. But after a while, what I realize is that uh, to really boil it down, uh, it comes down to a couple things. Uh, it comes down to uh, whether or not the different departments of uh, the film in question uh, almost have at least like a, a triple threat sort of vibe where it's like there's at least three different departments of the film that are like really solid. Um, because <clears throat> when at minimum that's the case, uh, it just feels like overall it's just a tightly put together package. Like a lot of care and time and planning and scheduling and all that other jazz uh, went into it to make it as just razor sharp as it possibly could have been in terms of uh, delivering the experience it sets out to realize and all that and uh to, to kind of give an idea of uh of some of those things and also the range of it uh the two i would pick are uh, a a small independent film probably never heard of it uh doesn't have a whole lot of a uh, following uh it's called the empire strikes back okay uh, that's definitely one of them okay so uh, we're going obscure here oh yes very obscure very most obscure. obscurest of all films Mm-hmm. i bet this thing didn't even have a reprint after vhs let me tell you <laughs> it's it's one of those bargain pin ones of you course. found in like a a family video where <laughs> I don't know it's just like half the cast that's in it either isn't credited or like the ones that are you look on their ID I IMDb and they just kind of disappear after like the eighties or nineties. Oh yeah, no, no one in that film made it big at all. I don't think it's no. a shame too. No, because no. it's such an average film. Oh yeah, very average. But you know, it does three things really good. Uh, it's got an excellent script, 
excellent special effects and uh, excellent performances from uh, all the actors. But, you know, I guess it just didn't hit with too many people. I don't know. Uh, the other one, uh, just to give an idea of just like the range of films I kind of look for, uh, Apocalypse Now, which uh, the film itself is just as, if not more interesting. Well, mm, I don't know about more interesting. At least as interesting as the production behind it. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, look into the production of that movie. Or if you want to present it presented in a documentary format, by all means, check out the documentary Prince of Darkness. It gives you the utmost uh, amount of information regarding just how crazy that movie was. Um, but... Uh, Besides just, like, you know, three different departments that are really solid all together, the other thing is just, like, whether or not, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, whether or not the creative decisions that went into, say, the directing, the performances, the production design, stuff like that, sound design, sound design's also something I really look forward to in movies, and as you can guess, uh, for those who do know of Empire Strikes Back, uh, killer sound design. I'd say even a master class in it. Um, the thing is, is that if I'm able to, like, actually pick up, like, oh, that was a neat little touch, or in some cases even see if, if, like, the film is coming from a place of, like, experience, and just overall serves as a purpose of, um... Like, showing just what you can do with movies in terms of, like, going with a concept and just developing it as far as you could go with it and do everything you possibly could do with the concept in question. Those are the types of movies I really like. I, I normally uh, have uh, problems with movies that they have a really interesting concept, like a really, really you know, attention-grabbing idea, but they just either do the most basic thing or they do everything that, you know, kind of goes against what they're trying to set up. In other ways, it, it steps on its own foot and trips and falls down a hill and breaks every bone in its body, and then it's just, you know... So you, so you like, they, they set up a premise or a concept and fully uh, explore it. Yes. If, if we were to boil down what you're saying. Yes. Indeed. I think that's the best way to get to that. That is the antithesis of what I look for. All right. Uh, Scott, you've been kind of quiet. Why don't you go next? Uh, okay. Uh, two films that I, on my top li uh, ten list, uh, well... One of them would be a certain film that came out a few years ago called Logan. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, it basically takes the whole, what was it, like almost 20 years performance buildup of Hugh Jackman's uh, Wolverine and sends him off in a very heartfelt way to basically bring about a new age of mutants, uh, one of them being his daughter, uh, to basically carry the banner into a potentially brighter future, but we won't know till they make a sequel or another spinoff movie. And uh, 
it also the performances between Hugh Jackman and uh, Patrick Stewart uh, as Xavier were breathtakingly well done, and I cannot recommend that film enough for anyone. Be a, a lot of history X Men X Men fan or a Marvel fan or not even either of them. It's just a very well made film, and it's just one of my top favorites. And the other one would be a lesser serious more serious film called princess bride mm. classic uh, that's classic a classic film yeah another classic. one of my favorite movies that i had only recently saw like a year or two ago believe it or not um after so many recommendations to watch it uh makes me laugh every time i watch it uh carrie elwes puts on a great performance all of them put on a great performance even the Late great Andre, the giant. Ah uh, yes, just a, a very well made, Andre. very well made uh, movie that constantly makes me laugh, and I always smile when I think about it. There's a lot of charm to that film. Have yeah. you ever read oh, the yeah. book by any chance? No, I have not. I want Did to. You, I didn't well, even realize there was a book. Here's the fun thing. I don't know if either of you know this. The book is worse than the movie. Hmm. Really. Yes, uh, from what I was looking into, because you know it's a it's a great movie. I've uh, I managed to find a copy of the book just like on a shelf in school one day, and the the movie cuts out like half of the book. But when I was looking into it, it's because the half of the book it cuts out is incredibly boring. It's mm-hmm. all like uh, satire on nobility and. Uh, like the political intrigue of a country that no longer exists. So when the movie came out, they're like, let's just do the fun parts. <laughs> well then. Now that's really interesting. And you know, it does bring up a interesting uh, point of um, discussion of when a book is being translated into a movie, how much of it should actually translate into the motion picture because frankly books and movies in terms of how they present their stories as you can guess <laughs> vastly different and what works in a book doesn't necessarily work or translate all that well into a movie or sometimes there's just certain things about the books that people can just look at and go like you know i i can um i can do without that uh p- perhaps you guys can uh you know, remember this particular example from a uh, Stephen King book called It, and how there was a very, very, very questionable scene that was removed, uh, or rather omitted for the movie version. For those who perhaps uh, don't know what I'm talking about, uh, look into it. Just yeah, find literally that's... any kind of comparison, uh, uh, either article or video, kind of talking about what made it into the It films, uh, both the old one and the new one, uh, and what was in the book that was omitted, because, my god, sometimes it just feels like a completely different beast altogether. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, adaptation isn't always one-to-one. Uh, And if I can use that as a segue into mine, one of the first films I like to talk about is uh, Jim Carrey's The Mask 
a much different film from its source material, <laughs> but I feel it's stronger yeah. for it. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> when talking about what I look for in films, uh, films are a visual storytelling medium, right? So mm-hmm. I feel a good mix of the the focus on the story and the characters and what I like to call spectacle. Just things that can be done because you're seeing it all play out in front of you. A good Mm -hmm. mix of that is what I feel makes a good film. So the mask is maybe not the most inherently like complex plot, but the, the way they, they handle their uh, core concept of a man with the powers of a cartoon are done very well. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with a lot of those points. And it just kind of brings me back to the whole idea of a concept being explored and developed Absolutely. as much as it possibly could be. Within, of course, the runtime of a... Uh, I don't even know if that's two hours. Probably, like, a little uh, under that. But, you know... I don't think movies were that long at that point. It's still like early 90s, I think. <laughs> Schindler's List would like to say no well, okay. to that idea. Uh, <laughs> but no, in the other film uh, that I would like to bring up with a similar thing is uh, Wes Anderson's Hotel Grand Budapest. A, a film mm. with, I feel, a lot of style that uh, actually has focuses more on the intrigue, but peppers in a lot of, like, camera work and fun. Uh, just, just it, It's just a very charming film with a very also kind of simple plot, but makes it much grander than it needs to be due to how the story is presented and how the, uh, well, just how the camera work and everything presents it all. It's just like it's a story within a story told by someone else to another person, and it very much feels like that. Right. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, thing that uh, people forget regarding movies, kind of going off of one of your earlier points. Film very much is a visual medium. And uh, the types of things that I try to avoid when, uh, you know, figuring out what to watch, what to look for, are movies that blatantly, and I mean blatantly, forget that it is a visual medium and feel the need to tell us what's going on or what somebody's feeling. Um, The biggest example that I can point to that and who knows, we might hold a discussion about it later on, Uh, the the Star Wars prequels. I mean, those are by far the biggest examples of just, like, forgetting that so much of it can be told visually, and the only cases of actual, like, pretty good quality visual storytelling comes in, like, the last movie. (laughs) The very last movie, and even then when it is there, it's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. Those are the films I feel that, uh, going back to my earlier, like, sliding scale, puts all its uh, weight into spectacle more than Mm -hmm. uh, storytelling. Right. Or character, really, (laughs) when you think about it. 
Yeah, and the second that that sort of uh, outweighs uh, the involvement of character development and sometimes even character study, uh, that's when, I don't know, spectacle almost becomes boring. Like, I guess in, in some cases, depending on how good the spectacle really is, it's just fun to watch money burn on the screen, but that that's not what movies are about, <laughs> at least to me. You know? I mean, I'm fine with watching the occasional, like, you know, not so substancy, more just about dumb fun kind of movie every so often, but only every so often. And the biggest uh, suggestion I can give to not just everybody here, but also anybody listening, don't watch the same type of movie, you know, kind of liven it up. Because when you uh, when when you start consistently watching, say, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, um, I'm not gonna lie. W what will either happen is that that is the only thing that you will ever seem to seek out, and uh, a lot of the copycats that want to try and uh, ape what the MCU did. Uh, they aren't very good, so it's not even like you can find a decent enough substitute for them. But also, like, over time, I, I don't know, they become stale and kind of difficult, at least for me, to revisit, because so much of them, they don't have, like, a sense of longevity. Well, that's... They, they, they really do feel like, uh, just building blocks that make up a larger construct, if that makes any sense. That construct, of course, being Infinity War and Endgame, two of the better movies, uh, worth the build-up, but... Mm. Well, that's, I feel, uh, a good advice for life in general. You gotta go out there and experience a lot of what it has to offer, not just stick to your one corner every time, doing the same things over and over, or you'll just either come to expect only that from life and get bored or just never have uh, better experiences. Right. You gotta liven it up. You gotta shake it up. You can't just be on autopilot the whole time. In fact, on that topic, uh, Ian, we had a film that kind of delves into this to discuss, didn't we? Yeah. Actually. <clears throat> That thing, uh, the, the movie that we kind of uh, were gifted uh, by uh, good old James over here kind of goes into a, a similar thing, uh, which we are, of course, excited to get to uh, at a later point. But before we get to that little nugget of goodness, uh, what we figured to do is uh, we are starting this podcast in 2021. Uh, which may or may not be the follow-up, the sequel, uh, to the year 2020, which for many people, I think most can agree that, uh, to, to best sum it up is, what the fucking fuck? <laughs> there was no passage of time in that whole year. I refuse to believe. <laughs> oh, no, that year was like five years. Are you kidding me? We were in, like, stasis or something. I refuse to believe otherwise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many times where I would forget what day of the week it was, and 
just wondering, ah, oh, jeez, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> can, can I can I get a wee little glimpse at it, please? What, just once a movie, little something. Once movie theater shut down, I knew all my free time went out the window because I just couldn't get out or do anything I used to do, and I hated it. Right, and you know, it, it's funny with the whole movie theater thing, because obviously that was one of the big establishments that many people were kind of bummed to see go, but granted, under the circumstances, very understandable. But yeah, one of our first things we wanted to do was kind of do a, a year in review when it came to entertainment media, because obviously there's already been so much disgust about the uh, big hitters, the big topics and stuff like that, because, oh boy... A lot's happened. <laughs> a a lot yeah. has happened. Now, it should be noted that considering the sheer number of things that happened in 2020, we can only cover so many topics uh, due to the fact that we want normal episodes on this podcast to go no longer than an hour and a half. So this will be considered part one of our year in review, and we will cover part two uh next episode it's easy to forget that there was like some i don't know some odd tom foolery going on throughout the uh the year mainly when it comes to media like some really questionable uh practices that um even in the context of well is this going to stick around after covid you know has a lot of people kind of concerned uh, and one of those big things uh, regarding movie theaters is the release of uh, films that were supposed to have a theatrical release and obviously have that be its main source of making back its money being moved onto services, streaming services, such as Disney Plus, HBO Max, and uh, Netflix. And... Uh, a lot has been uh, questioned regarding that because some of these companies are saying, oh, yeah, we might just do this even after COVID. And uh, that kind of leads to the big question of, well, how's that going to affect movie theaters? Absolutely. There, Well, not even how that will affect movie theaters, but... One thing to keep in mind, a lot of films, especially like the bigger releases that are coming out and ever so often, are often made with the idea that you'll be watching in some big, elaborate like theater, in some big projected screen. So if we're taking that out of the equation, and I'm not saying like movie theaters are dead and it's in the ground forever, but if mm -hmm. we're taking that out of the equation... Do you think that's going to change how people make films moving forward? Oh, heavily. Heavily. If we're going to dump them straight onto streaming services, like, I think things are going to be pulled back a bit. Yeah. Just a wee bit. And I mean, there were plenty of, um, plenty of movies or even shows, primarily shows, that uh, because they wrapped things up, prior to covid they were still able to like have their full distribution same as always obviously they just had to have post-production and all that other jazz done mm -hmm. uh remotely um not every other film was as lucky 
and there's actually plenty of shows, some of which are, you know, uh, recent favorites of mine, because if there's one thing I've been doing more of during quarantine, it is watching a lot more content. Uh, and if I had to shout out at least two examples, uh, both of which little late to one more than the other, uh, Stranger Things and Cobra Kai are on hiatus until this whole thing blows over. And that worries me because of how long we're talking. Yeah. I think Stranger Things is in a situation where it can kind of uh, just drop in and out whenever. There's some people that think the main appeal is like these kids doing these things, but they're always going to get older. And I think like waiting a year or two is not going to break up the pace that much. Cobra Kai, on the other hand, left off like the next arc is happening a week from where it left off. Yeah. So that's going to be a little more difficult if they take a whole year off. And I mean, you look at some of the cast members and they already look like they're a good year or two older than they, you know, previously were. And that's a show focused around people in high school. Oh, yeah. And, you know, regarding concerns of, like, how movies are made, like, the the big thing, especially with um, some of the movies that are being thrown onto HBO Max, uh, a recent one being Wonder Woman 84 and soon-to-be-released Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, one of those two I was looking forward to more than the other, mm-hmm. and I did not gamble wrong when I did so, because, um, well, Wonder Woman wasn't all that great. I'll just sum it up like that. <laughs> oh, Scott, sounds like you have some words on this film. <laughs> uh, more than a few. <laughs> Are Why we going to get them? into this? Uh, you know what? Why not? Why not? Well, uh, going off of what Ian had said, there were three films coming out to ATO Max that I were excited for. One of them uh, I had uh, poorly misjudged. Um, Those three would be Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out in next month, actually. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong coming out in May. No, March. Sorry. My COVID. Mm. (laughs) Um, And Wonder Woman uh, is... uh, was a movie it uh Mm -hmm. it had a plot um i will say this uh there was some questionable things about midway through the film when uh a certain character uh appears um that i was not a fan of the (laughs) build-up with two villains one being a well i don't want i don't know if we want to get into spoilers but both villains were really bad i had hopes that cheetah was going to be good did not pan out how I had wished. Um, the whole villain's uh, motivation was not existent. Um, and uh, if there was a motivation that he had, uh, I did not pick up on it. And in the two and a half hours that that film ran, uh, it felt like four hours. Um <laughs> Everybody who was in that movie felt like their performances were phoned in. Um, the fight scenes were really janky to watch. Oh, the fight scenes especially. Um, 
The yeah. whole opening act um, made no sense. It had no callbacks to It also plays anything. into like a very lukewarm uh, like lesson or moral that Wonder Woman apparently learns later on as well, which means nothing. There oh, was no uh, lesson. A lesson that isn't learned, or a lesson that is told and then not learned is... From my understanding, I've not seen 84 or whatever it's called. 84, yeah. Isn't that literally the problem with the last one, too? That it had a good <laughs> no. moral and she just does not learn the lesson because it's undone? <laughs> not, yeah. Eh, not entirely, yeah. but also, yeah. Um, I learned a lesson after watching 84. And what is yeah, that lesson? That? My lesson was not to ever trust DC again. <laughs> you know... It's a lesson we all have to learn at some point. No, well, I, I, hey, Scott, I like, Scott, D- no, I like no, DC on. movies. But. <laughs> I, I, I will say, I will say that you can also definitely say that after Zack Snyder's Justice League, because here's the thing, my guy. He keeps getting so many second chances in terms of proving that he can put together a half-decent DC film and yet every time he either seems to misunderstand what the characters are actually about or he just puts together a complete you know mess of a movie and i feel like after his version of justice league comes out uh we can definitively say okay yeah no no that th- this cannot work anymore we're going to have to talk about that 4 hour shit show aren't we <laughs> It could be good. Who knows? Eventually, I I say we should. It could we'll be make very it a point. Good. We'll never okay. know till it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, but uh, Wonder Woman eighty four not very good. Uh, but there are some very promising films that are coming up. Uh, within the HBO Max lineup, uh, the one I'm looking forward to the most definitely has to be Dune, due to the fact that uh, it is being directed by the same mad lad responsible for blade runner uh 2049 uh whose name completely escapes me because i cannot pronounce his name properly for the life of me and i do not wish to butcher it if somehow i can remember the pronunciation i'll come back to it but frankly uh, out of respect for the man, because my goodness, he is very talented and has such a vivid vision, especially for the, the, the future and just the world of Blade Runner, that Dune, it's a no-brainer, to me anyway, in terms of him helming it. Uh, and then obviously, uh, there's also a, a a Mortal Kombat movie coming out that I keep yeah. forgetting is even oh, an shit, actual really? thing. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. It comes out this year. <laughs> There's a Mortal really Kombat good. movie coming out. Or it's going to be really bad. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's just like, I, I don't think we needed it. And depending on who's actually at the helm of it, it just seems like it's ripe for attracting those types of directors that just kind of phone it in because it's just like, oh, you know, it's it's Mortal Kombat. People kill each other. Yeah, just do that for two hours. I mean, the games have been taking a bit more of a, a narrative focus, so I guess that doesn't surprise me. They're going to try another film. 
Right. You know, it's just that if they are going to do that, I feel that perhaps it should at least reflect what the games are doing and stuff like that. That way then fans have more of a thing to look forward to and actually feel involved in because it, you know, kind of carries with it what they enjoy about the, uh, the the source material. And if not, well, then it's just Mortal Kombat in name. If it just has like, oh yeah, that's Scorpion, and that's Sub-Zero, and that's Reptile, and they just fight each other for the movie. I don't know. You, you gotta try a little harder than just that. Like, yeah, they fight each other in the games, but there's more to the games than just that. And if you're just gonna settle for that, well then, what's the point? I don't know. It definitely makes you wonder, though, uh, because obviously, some of these movies... They, they they have big budgets, very big budgets, and as you can probably guess, when you got a lot of movie going into a project, you want to make that money back, because otherwise it is deemed a failure. Uh, No-brainer right there. So it makes you wonder, well, how in the hell do these directors and crews and all that plan to do that? Uh, when it's on a streaming service, which doesn't have a guaranteed, um, like, number to how much they would make off of people actually watching it. That's true. They can't get ticket sales, so they have to go off, uh, well, I guess the streaming service would have to pay them directly, since most of them are subscription-based, and, uh, or do they pay to get on the service? Hmm... I don't know. You know, that is something that I would have to look into, and I'll have to follow up on that, because that's actually something about the process in terms of those streaming services that uh, I would be interested to find out about. Because um, there were a couple earlier movies that, um, rather than going on to services and just being available as part of that service, they did it through rentals and stuff like that, and the only one that comes to mind... <laughs> <laughs> is uh is is scoob the cg scooby-doo movie oh, that geez. was a rental yeah <laughs> that was that was one of the first like films i recall that's like oh we're, we're advertising the crap out of it and then when covid hit it's like well i guess we'll just put it online Mm-hmm. and it was like 20 bucks to rent it and then people who do watch it are just like no don't I, I have words about that it. film, but we're already running pretty late, so I won't go in depth yet. <laughs> right. And then obviously you got some other movies like uh that remake of, of Mulan and <laughs> um <laughs> I'm trying my best to not get too caught up in that one in particular. Mm-hmm. Maybe at a later time we can You're uh, treading cover that, some but... deadly deadly waters, Ian. <laughs> But then it also makes you wonder uh, about the movies that, um, because obviously Mulan, that didn't immediately come on to uh, Disney Plus. That one, over time, it did. No, it it was was on Disney Plus. You had to pay $30 to watch it, though. Yeah, you didn't have to pay for the streaming service. If you had the streaming service, you could then pay an additional fee to watch just that film. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You had to have Disney Plus originally to watch it. Yeah, and then you had to pay an additional thirty dollars to watch. Yeah, Mulan was 
especially egregious because it didn't just drop on the service. It has you had to have access to the service and then pay to watch it. Yes. They did they change that eventually? I think it so. came out. I think a few months after. Okay, uh, they, because they when I on. watched it, I, I I didn't have that. So oh my gosh! So on top of the service, you have to. Oh, that even pisses me off more. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like they they basically did it as like, oh, it's in a quote unquote theater mode for a f- month or two, and then oh they release it to the actual service. <laughs> yeah. So Bad. I guess that's one way they'll try to monetize the films if they're dropping on services. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, this actually goes into my next point. Uh, what about the movies that, uh, unlike Mulan, weren't immediately on there? And quite frankly, when the decision to eventually put a lot of those movies on there was made, these movies quite literally were like just shipped, plopped right onto the service, quite literally over uh, night. Uh, and, and I'm talking about movies uh, such as Artemis Fowl. <laughs> because let's talk about that for a second. Uh, very clearly, that was a movie that uh, over time, at some point, Disney more than likely began to lose faith in it. They're like, okay, this this is shaping up to be a bit of a mess. And when COVID became a thing and they were, you know, formulating plans on how they could distribute these films and stuff like that in a remote fashion, uh, the decision was just, oh yeah, just, just ship that around to Disney Plus and stuff like that. And when you watch the film, it just becomes clear as day that disney looked at it and they're like okay yeah that, that that's just going straight on to disney plus don't even don't even question it we're just throwing it on there and it makes you wonder like regardless of the fact that it is a mess <laughs> of a film like if anybody is looking for something to just watch just to see the <laughs> the the absence of quality and just watch something become a beautiful mess the more and more it runs on the screen by all means watch artemis fowl it is spectacular it's uh it's a very strange adaptation that kind of throws out most of what made the book work like Mm -hmm. we, we talked about uh I guess the opposite in Princess Bride, where they took yeah. out all the things that didn't make the book work and just add the fun bits. Out of his file is a case where they took all the fun bits out and oh. just threw it in. Mm-hmm. It just makes it a very convoluted <laughs> and sometimes just unintentionally hilarious mess, really. Like, the thing is, is it just makes you wonder, like, what what, what actually was happening? Was this, like, just a, a, a messed up production where they just kept on running into problems and they had to, like, shift everything? Was it the fact that, like, there was studio interference? Or was it just the fact that the people making it didn't really <laughs> understand the point of the source material? I don't know. It just exists now. <laughs> And it makes me wonder how that's the case. 
You know there are more books in that series, too. Oh, really? They can adapt more. I use adapt oh. loosely. Oh. I can create. I can't wait for my Artemis Fowl cinematic universe, let me tell you. God, I hope. Oof. Yeah, but uh, it definitely begs a lot of questions as to uh, if theaters will even be able to uh, have as many films playing in there going forward because there have been many talks that there are certain benefits anyway to um, streaming service releases for like big budget movies uh, and all that. And, you know, I I'm sure that they're there, but to me anyway, if I had to boil down my overall thoughts on that, the movie theaters is where it's at. If you want like the full-on experience of seeing these films the way that they were intended. And obviously going forward, there may be more movies that are made specifically for streaming services, but it just doesn't beat the feeling of being in like this just basically auditorium with a giant screen and depending on what type of screen you go to and what kind of sound system it has like there's so many more uh theaters nowadays that have like those dolby atmos uh configurations where it's like they have yeah. all these different ways of like projecting sound and obviously me being like huge on the sound experience of so many things oh, i can't get enough of it it's interesting you say that. Um, I've always been under the impression, and I'm not trying to undermine your opinion, obviously. I've always mm -hmm. been under the impression that a uh, a film should be good regardless of whether or not it's cool to see in a theater. Uh, okay. a, a, I, I think a, the mark of a truly good film is a film that you get just as much enjoyment out of sitting and watching it in a the theater as you would sitting at home and watching it later. Hmm. Uh, so I think theaters themselves, while they do clearly enhance the experience, uh, the base product still needs to be quality enough to stand on its own. And if theaters truly do die, it will be unfortunate, but that puts more emphasis on the filmmaking to make up for that. Wow, that's true. That's very true. And, you know, out of pure curiosity one time, because I was uh, I was traveling in this van that my family has, where it has this built-in CRT TV that has a, you know, attached uh, VHS player. Uh, I had been watching Atlantis, The Lost Empire, one of my other favorite movies, on either Disney+, Plus, Netflix, uh, DVD, whatever I had it on. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to watch Atlantis on VHS. Nothing about it seemed to really detract from it, mm -hmm. you know? I still enjoyed my time watching Atlantis. Obviously, I would very much prefer to watch it on, say, Blu-ray or something like that. I would very much prefer to watch it on Disney+, Plus because at least then it is in the highest possible uh, resolution and quality that I could, uh, you know, experience it in. Because I love that movie so much. Uh, but at the same time, I was still able to enjoy the ride on a CRT TV off of VHS. And granted, part of that is because 
uh, CRTs were essentially built uh, with VHS players in mind, so naturally it does look natural on that. But, eh, I can definitely see where you're coming from. But if I had to choose uh, amongst all these different formats and uh, options for seeing some of my favorite movies, or movies that I'm super excited for that are coming out in the near future... I mean, yeah, you can you can bet your ass that I want to see it in the best possible quality with the best possible uh, formats available. And to me, it just doesn't get any better than seeing it in a theater. You know? But there's some wiggle room. At least for me. What about you, Scott? How important is the uh, theater-going experience, would you say, to uh, enjoying a film? For you. For me, it... it, it okay, so... I'm a little weird. My first mm-hmm. experience seeing a new movie is obviously in the theater. But if I like I kind of agree with both points where a movie is could be good on in any format, like if it's made well enough or if I enjoy it enough, I would watch it anywhere like there are some movies where I never got to see in theaters and I had hoped to see them in theaters, but that time has passed. Um, it could be any number of films that I like that I say, hey, this could have been really good in theaters, but I couldn't see it. Um, but if a, a movie like that has that sense of scale, like you can actually feel the scale in theaters, then that would be my preferred method of watching it. Like, I'm going to say, for example, in Endgame, when Cap is staring down Thanos' army, that was phenomenal to see on in the theater, but it looks just as good in, like, on my TV or on an iPad, but I much rather prefer my first ever experience of that seeing it on theater. I guess so scale does have a lot to do with it, because if it's like a really big movie that has, as you've kind of touched upon, James, a spectacle, really good spectacle, uh, it would help to see it on a, a really big screen. And granted, there are a lot of TVs nowadays that you could pick up that are huge and kind of have like a wide, you know, amount of uh, coverage for the image. But obviously having that scale being physically represented on a large screen, uh, it certainly adds to the experience. Now, here's the thing. Um, movies like, say, Marriage Story, which is another one I saw uh, during quarantine. I really liked it, actually. Um, I don't mind seeing that on um, on a smaller screen, so just like a TV. That, that was or a even Netflix like a original, wasn't monitor. it? Yeah, that was, but it it feels like a movie that could have been, you know, released in theaters. That kind of movie, obviously, there isn't too much about it that I would say, oh yeah, I have to see that on a movie screen, unless it's doing something with, like, production design or coloring, I guess, color grading or stuff like that, maybe, mm-hmm. but um, Joker, on the other hand... uh could easily be another one of those movies that I would only want to see on like a smaller screen, but because of how it presents Gotham City and how the camera is also worked, that's the other thing. 
the camera work and cinematography can also have a hand in it. And uh, it's another reason that uh, I would say I'm happy I saw Joker on the big screen. And it's another reason I wish I could have seen um, uh, The Revenant with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Tom Hardy on the big screen, because that also has some fantastic cinematography. In fact, I love that film mainly because of the cinematography. There's obviously some other stuff to it, but, you know. Interesting. I have not actually seen that one. Oh, we can maybe talk yeah, about that later. Yeah, neither have I. But man, that's Ooh. definitely something to bring um, up later. <laughs> I, I, do, I do also want to say um, that that sense of scale is pure and front with any, with like King of the Monsters, Godzilla. Oh, yes. Seeing that on and theaters it's a shame that, is phenomenal. Right, and it's a shame that people, unless they want to go to theaters, they still have a choice at least now. Uh, some theaters are open, but it's a shame that if people want to go and see Godzilla versus Kong on the big screen, there's a potential risk in it. Oh, with, yeah. You know, theaters being open. And I thought about it myself, but at the same time, it's just like, ah, I, I don't know. We're so late in the game and like things are kind of looking up with the vaccine happening later down the road. But then, of course, I start thinking, but that's not going to be for a while. And it's just a whole bunch of conflicting thoughts. And ultimately, I think I'll just settle for watching it on um, HBO Max. Because on HBO Max, Samurai Jack is on there. And I have been meaning to fully revisit that. And uh, Oh, yeah, that's oof. a trip. That's a trip right there. It is a trip. It is a trip. And obviously, I still got to get through season five. I'll get there, but I want to see everything that came before it before I get to five, because then I feel like I'm getting the full unadulterated Jack experience, <laughs> even though it is a bit of a tonal shift from what I understand. It's me, Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bit, but you've already seen Primal. Yes, but, you know. It's not the same. So, with uh, a lot of that out of the way, we of course have ourselves our feature presentation. Uh, so, every podcast episode, we are going to have a main uh, motion picture of choice that we discuss, uh, which is picked by a different person every time within a predetermined rotation, almost like a book club in a way. Sort of. Uh, and this week, uh, due to the fact that the rotation began with none other than James. That's me. Uh, James, what, uh, what, what, what movie are we talking about? Okay, so today we will be talking about uh, the 2006 film Stranger Than Fiction, starring Will Ferrell. This is a film in which a uh, woman writing a novel is... Her, her narration is slowly bleeding into the main character's, like, consciousness, and he's becoming more aware of the fact he's in a novel and all the various uh, consequences that may arise between that, especially considering one of the narration explicitly states he is soon going to die. And I think that right there... Oh my gosh, that, that particular detail. You want to talk about concepts... 
and ideas that are uh, explored and developed as much as they possibly could have, I, I feel that this movie is an example of that to a T. Absolutely. Because uh, it, uh, it, it's not like a overtly sad film. Uh, but I also wouldn't say that it's an entirely happy one. It's, it, it's like a, a strange melancholy sort of tonality to it that it kind of has throughout the, uh, the movie. Um, and while it does have its, its moments of just like raw emotional reaction, it really only comes up, uh, towards, towards the end of the movie. And then even after that, things are, are resolved rather well. Uh, but, um, nah, overall, I, I'd have to say very solid movie. And I was legitimately surprised by Will Ferrell's performance, uh, knowing his body of work. Uh, I think it's kind of funny because if you really sit back and think about it, Will Ferrell is kind of playing the same character he always does. A kind of unhinged man that like shouts a lot. The only difference is the script itself provides reasonable context for him to be shouting at nothing. Because there's voices in his head. And just the juxtaposition of those moments where he's being, for all intents and purposes, Will Ferrell, are really well uh, like contrasted with his overall personality of quite possibly the most boring man possible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and it was uh, it was impressive to see him uh, be so reserved because you see so much of his his uh, filmography and he's just known for uh, screaming and just saying a lot of nonsensical uh, stuff constantly and to the point where that's almost like ingrained into his his image as oh, yeah. a. Um, as an actor and to see him go against a lot of that and actually have like some legitimately um sincere and like genuine uh you know performances in different scenes uh it was pretty impressive so this is a thing i love in stories uh one of the reasons i chose this film particularly is because from the trailers I saw when I was when it was first coming out, I was always fascinated by it, but I never got a chance mm-hmm. to see it when it came out, and then it just kept getting pushed back and back. I'd actually forgotten the name of the film uh, the first time that I saw the trailers. I knew it had fiction in it, and for the longest time, I for some reason thought it was Pulp Fiction, <laughs> which it is very much not. <laughs> That is uh, that is an entirely different form of movie. Uh, but oh my gosh! I, can we? Can, I, I I want a recut, a remaster of Pulp Fiction, in which John Travolta is replaced with Will Ferrell. Oh jeez! Oh my gosh! Just seeing that. It's Will Ferrell oh. from the other guys cut into Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but uh, the whole oh. thing with. Uh, the the concept of a a narrative that it's also kind of has its own narrative within it always fascinates me. Like even 
the whole him confronting his death thing is a big part of this film, but even if it was just mm -hmm. a man finds out he's in a novel, that alone is enough to carry the film, I would feel. It, it's cool to go into like the the characterization of certain things because while while he is a real person kind of uh you you can contrast like he's a very by the book literally by the numbers person and then it cuts to scenes of the author writing the novel and she's like this quirky eccentric person that's always like just doing something really wacky and constantly thinking about like death and suffering in great detail and to see like they they're both kind of joyless but they get like the way they handle it is much differently mhm mm like she turns to smoking he finds comfort in numbers and just the way that like the author is paralleled by the character she writes uh it, it's very fun to watch unfold. Oh, yeah. And what I found the most interesting uh, regarding the film was just the overall um, portrayal of uh, of the, uh, the, the author. Mm -hmm. really and just how she uh she she almost seems like the the type of person that just seems to fixate on like the the darker parts of uh the the the, the human mind and just overall the more dour elements of life which involves just like the either absence or the uh Oh man, I'm having such a hard time thinking of how to like well, she, this. Uh, the 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 taking or or robbery of life that uh she she forgets to, I guess, have humanity in her work, and the way that she realizes that she needs more humanity in it, or rather, that's what she's missing herself, is when she realizes that Harold is um alive, and she realizes, oh God. I, I nearly was about to, like, kill him. And not only that, but that also means that I, I may or may not have killed my past characters. Because she she's so known and, and consistent with practically all of her previous books killing off her main protagonists. Now, that was a, a point in the film I was a little mixed on at first. I didn't know if I liked the fact they were in the same world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, I, from when the movie started, I kind of assumed that his art, uh, his journey was kind of reflecting her mental state. And it was more like a visual representation of that. So when he physically can call her, I was a little worried where it would go, but I think the movie handled it pretty well. Yes. Very well, actually. Uh, and, and it's just one of those um, elements of, of, of movies like that where very easily I feel that uh, if they over-explained how that sort of thing worked, that dynamic of suddenly 
your novel character is calling you on the phone and then literally drives to go and and meet you. Yeah. I I could have seen so many other movies trying to over-explain how that worked, like incorporating some kind of like supernatural or dimensional sort of, (laughs) I, I guess, element. Yeah. And honestly, it's one of those things where with how the rest of the movie presents that dynamic uh you almost don't need any sort of explanation as to how that happens uh either because you can simply think of the connection yourself or it it just doesn't need it because that's not what's important what's important is what's going on with the characters themselves uh Ian, you and I have been kind of dominating the conversation here. Scott, are there any scenes in particular you'd like to draw attention to? Um, there's actually a character that I thoroughly enjoyed was Dustin Hoffman's character. Uh, the professor. Uh, yes, we've been his name evades me. He's very his name evades me. Um, but I thought it was really well done because I originally thought that the entire world was inside like the book so i thought that character was sort of breaking the fourth wall a little bit and i'm like oh that's kind of neat but then it turns out that it's actually the real world no matter what so it's kind of like it sort of goes to show that like you think that this character is like both like i i don't want to say like based off a real person but like uh it's sort of like kind of bridges the two sort of like I don't want to say I don't want to like say worlds but like it sort of bridges the two uh characters the the author and the novel character. Yeah. I uh cuz when he was first kind of grilling him on all these things like are you a king? Do you think you're going to be assassinated? And then He's like, oh, well, I've now ruled out what stories you aren't in. Uh, right. When I initially thought that this was just a book world, I thought, exactly. like, of yeah, course he I won't be able to too. find out what story he's in because the book story wouldn't exist in this world. Exactly. So you're kind of thinking, oh, he's a, he's a character in the novel, but then you find out that it's actually, he's literally just a professor at a, a college and it's such a cool idea, too, that someone that realizes they're in a book would, of course, go to someone that knows how to write books. Like, exactly. That's such a natural thing. Uh, and I thought initially that that whole, like, dynamic would have just hammered home the fe- the futility of fighting death. Because that's kind of what the movie is about, is, like, what you do... More so than, like, what do you do if you find out you're not real or you're you're just a story to someone is how do you deal with life and the inevitability of death? And uh, it pulled the rug out from under me. I thought it was definitely going for you have to make the most of what you have because you can't stop your death. And oftentimes... That can be <laughs> quite the, uh, I guess, uh, draining thought to kind of ponder on. But the interesting thing with how it kind of um, keeps itself from going a little too dark is uh, really uh, the very end in which uh, Karen, the author, 
she changes the ending, and uh, w- which it set up that um, uh, Jules was saying that uh, the ending has to be the way it is, where Harold dies because it is an amazing piece of work that is going to blow people away. It is going to be quite literally her masterpiece. Absolutely. But what she realizes is that that that's not what she really wants. She wants uh, this person who really hasn't done anything to deserve dying to live. And what really felt... uh, What had me thinking that made that so strong, so effective, so uh, compelling was when uh, Karen points out that Harold is in a book about somebody who has to accept death. And the reason why that she came around and realized that she doesn't want the character to die anymore is because uh, the he knows book it's coming. initially... Oh, yeah, yeah, he knows it's coming. Uh, she says that originally the book was about a man who did not know that he was going to die, but because Harold knew he was going to die and ultimately accepted his fate and just went along with the inevitable, she believes that he is the kind of person who now deserves to live. And I think that was the part that, that, that really hit me. I'm just like, oh... It's a really good line. Wow. It, it's probably it like is. it's definitely the one they want you to remember because it's almost one of the last lines beyond oh, yeah. like the narrations that are just intermittent. I think this is a perfect example of one of those movies that just kind of comes along. In ways, it's not the most remarkable of filmmaking, but at the same time, it's just lines like that that just make you know finding little gems like this. Pretty rewarding and memorable because, like, that, that, that's just such a hard hitting and just genuine uh, line that also has excellent delivery. Which, by the way, that's the other thing performances fantastic in this movie. Oh, definitely. Uh, all the characters oh, have very clear and understandable personalities. Uh, you definitely understand why... Like, this isn't a movie that introduces too many characters that don't do anything. It's a very small cast that makes the most of what they need from each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very uh, The only one I feel gets a little shortened is the Baker girl. Because after they hook up, she's kind of gone from the plot. And the actual, like, them getting together was maybe a little rushed. Although... I guess that could be because their character is in a novel. Like that might be intentional. I don't know. It could also be the fact because I think at that point, because he's like, he knows he's going to die soon that he just wants to sort of live out as many things as possible before the inevitable end. Mm -hmm. So I feel that was also maybe a reason why it was sort of paced a bit faster at that part i suppose or at that point of the story well you guys you're you're both wrong she disappeared because she had to go and be saved by batman <laughs> what oh wait is that 
That's right. Oh, right. Ah, oh, there you go. Is, you figured it out. That you figured is Rachel, it out. Yeah. Oh, I remember she was from. Some, I couldn't picture where else she was from. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've seen her in too many other things aside from this and uh, Dark Knight. But after looking at her filmography, because I was just curious. Uh, not nah, she actually is in quite a lot uh also mm-hmm. television and stuff like that and apparently she did theater oh very nice which uh i i felt that this performance in particular when i was watching it i kind of picked up a little bit of like i don't know theater oriented uh kind of acting here and there which at first uh that that was one element that at first i thought uh, they would sort of play up. You know how um, when you look at conversations in a movie and then in a book, and just because of how the two mediums are very different and how they present their stories, uh, conversations kind of flow a little differently yeah. and all that. Sometimes there's a little bit of introspection, like mentally, within the thoughts of like different characters. I thought maybe they would perhaps uh, play that up a little bit. Uh, but I guess when I was watching the film early on, I was reading into it a little bit too much and I'm just like, oh, okay, no, no, they're, they're just going to talk like normal people. That's fine. But it does make you think, you know, what could this movie have done more to further improve what it does? There, uh, but as is, it's still, you know, solid. It's, it's very, very good. Solid. Uh, there are a few points I feel it might be dragging on a bit. Like, there's just a little too much time when there's just, like, like maybe he's standing in place looking at something longingly for maybe a little too long, or uh, it maybe goes a little too much in between parts where, like, the narration is in his brain, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it you kind of forget that he's supposed to be in a book for a bit. But overall, I think it had a pretty decent pace. Everything was very well spaced out and uh just i mean the writing was clearly on point like the dialogue drives home everything that you need to know about what's going on and how everyone's feeling it is a very solid script very solid script indeed um i thought that uh the amount of time that passes before we uh, swap perspectives between Harold and Karen, uh, there would be a lot of times where I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. Yeah, we haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> in the case of Karen, I, I thought maybe she could have had, um, I guess, a little more. I do appreciate Kinda... every time we swap to her and she's like imagining a new elaborate death scene. Uh, mm-hmm. It does foreshadow the like the kid on the bike and the woman in the the bus, so that yeah. when you see her getting the uniform and you see him putting on the helmet, you're like, oh shit! Like the the last yeah uh, the the third act of this film is genuinely tense, playing with the inevitability. I I would agree. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those rare things where it's just like, I, I know what's going to happen. It's just, I, I don't know how or what the circumstances are. And it's killing me, practically tearing my insides out. 
trying to figure out how it's gonna happen. And by the end of it, you're just like, oh, oh, went and gone. Okay. Well, there it is. Yeah. Um, I was actually meaning to ask, what, what do you, th- um, do you guys think that with, uh, how, uh, Harold was even able to, uh, you know, have that sudden, uh, realization that, oh, shoot, I'm in a book and stuff like that, and eventually meet Karen, uh, do you think the watch had something to do with it? Yes. Because one of the things that I was theorizing was, and this is kind of where perhaps a little bit too much over uh, explaining, but I, uh, I, I think the watch, because it would often either like form arrows that point towards what's about to happen, or just all around act a little funky... I feel that the watch had something to do with it, and what it is, I'm I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up. We've been uh, kind of skipping over the watch this whole discussion. He, I I've developed a kind of personal theory about it that I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what you guys think of it. I think okay. the watch is actually part of the rewrite. You think so? I think the watch is part of the rewrite where it's because at the end of the film, the watch is ultimately what prevents him from dying. So I think her making that more of a, like it might have been that he had a watch originally, but I think the fact that she made it more of a character made it more of like an ancient thing and made it more than just some guy told him the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the emphasis on it was put a lot more in the rewrite, which eventually led to the different ending. Mm. Uh, I don't okay. know if that like a hundred percent tracks out, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Well, I have that's to say, it is a hell of a lot more intricate than <laughs> what I thought it was. Uh, so you were saying, Scott. <laughs> I, I just thought it was uh, an interesting theory, but um, like it, it, it would make a lot of sense uh, if it was part of the rewrite, since it is the thing that inevitably saved him. The it, like it since it was forever embedded into his skin. Mm-hmm. Plus, she said, uh, uh, "Someone that knows they're going to die and does it anyway is someone you want to live." That he can't know he's going to die if the fact that the narration in his head isn't part of the story. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> kind of makes me realize that maybe I'm 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 too uh, out in left field because I thought that the uh, the watch was uh, some kind of um, <laughs> and hear me out some kind of world controlling device. It is very clearly like different from everything else in the world like it's more technology than they should have at that point in time yeah (laughs) it certainly seems like it yeah i thought this whole time that uh it was acting as some kind of controller or something like that that would like shift the world around um uh harold and 
ultimately when when it comes to like uh theorizing well how is it that harold was able to actually meet karen i thought that the watch is some type of device that somehow allowed harold's world and her world to sort of cross over okay in order to have harold get the answers he needs which as you know really would only happen unless he would meet her right to me i actually think that the watch made that happen it's possible um you know a lot of things in movies like this uh are left open so that different people mm-hmm. come away with different ideas like the uh was it the the briefcase in that one tarantino film that you never see inside yeah, yeah. that's a good example is that Reservoir Dogs, or is that... No, that's Pulp that's Fiction. That's Pulp Fiction. It, I, we brought it full circle. The movie that I want to be recut. I want it to be recut <laughs> with Will Ferrell. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I feel like he's done a parody somewhere Probably. where he pretends to be John Travolta. Because, like, if you were to put the same wig on, he does have, like, a similar enough face at a distance to John Travolta, at least slightly. So, I don't know, man. I want it. I want it so bad. Perhaps one day. <laughs> just to see it. Kind of like how, you know, I, I, I just want to see the Snyder Cut because it exists and I'm curious. Well, you don't have to wait long for that else. one. No, not long at all. So, anywho, uh, closing thoughts. Uh, how would you summarize your overall thoughts of the, uh, the movie, uh, James? Uh, well, I was the one that recommended it, but like I said, I only seen like up to maybe half of it. Like I think they put it on in class one day when it was like finals are over and we just have to like uh-huh. do out this day. So uh, I was surprised in certain ways. It Overall, I think it's a very good film. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly... Uh... I wouldn't even say uplifting, but it's also not, like, draining to sit through. It's really not that much of a Debbie Downer kind of uh, movie. It just kind of seems like an objective um, presentation of just, like, yeah, you technically cannot uh, prevent or avoid death, and that's just sort of the thing. But, uh, you know... That comes when it comes, and until then, you uh, live your life the way that you want to. And make sure that it is full, so that when it inevitably does happen, there's at least some sense of fulfillment before that. So yeah, I would highly recommend that uh, anybody listening definitely uh, give this movie a shot. It is on Netflix as well as uh, a couple other services. Scott, any closing uh, remarks? rental. Um, I thought it was a really sort of heartfelt film in the end. It's sort of, uh, she rewrites that he survives and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the characters' performances. The chemistry was all there. I didn't really feel any characters were out of place. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of glad I got to watch it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, 
thanks everybody for joining us on our first episode. We hope that anybody tuning in will uh, continue to take a wee listen to our little verbal escapades along the way. Uh, but before we go, uh, figured that we would uh, just set down the uh, formula for how things are going to work. So going forward, uh, every week we're going to have our little uh, intro topics going over whatever relevant in, uh, information or news has come out regarding entertainment media, that be movies, video games, possibly even music, uh, whatever we feel like discussing and just uh, sharing with each other. And then, of course, we would have inevitably get to the discussion regarding the recommended movie and somewhere down the line uh preferably once uh, all this covid stuff blows over uh the occasional video game discussion as well now for our film discussions the way it works is that uh, we have a rotation of uh members on this podcast who pick the next film that we view and eventually discuss and uh, the next person within the rotation is none other than scott and his choice for next episode is uh ip man uh it is the first in a series of martial arts oriented films and uh i'm pretty excited for that one i can't wait yes Stay tuned, everybody, and thank you for this ever-so-inciting moment. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>